0: Hello and welcome back to Fall Classic Rewind, the stories behind the World Series. We've got Game 4 of the 1979 World Series between the Pirates and the Orioles at Three Rivers Stadium. The Orioles had a comeback victory in Game 3 after that rain delay. They jumped all over John Candelaria, uh, Earl Weaver's platoon, working out just as he scripted. And you know, that game went into went into the wee hours of the morning, went after midnight, and here we are, just less than twelve hours later, playing, I think at like twelve thirty or one p.m. Eastern time, with Jim Bibby and Dennis Martinez taking the hill. Uh, Of course, you know, there's big college football games, uh, Texas and Oklahoma. That's where Keith Jackson is. And that's why we're going to have Al Al Michaels in uh, again, once again, uh, for this game. It's an interesting one. Coming in, you know, a sort of a disappointing loss for the Pirates in game three. Second guessing about whether or not they should have brought in Candelaria after the rain delay, and you know, maybe a few plays here and there. We're actually gonna hear from manager Chuck, Chuck Tanner talk about some of the issues he had with the game, some of the calls that didn't go their way, and some of the balls that just didn't carry, and, and ultimately that's baseball. A couple of breaks don't go your way, and it changes the whole course of the ball game. Of course, a lot of credit has to be given to Scott McGregor for the performance he put in after the rain delay, shutting down the pi- the potent Pirates offense. And of course, not enough can be said about the job of Kiko Garcia, put in at shortstop, going four for four, reaching base all five times, doing something that only legends of the game had done to that point. And Kiko Garcia is going to play a major role in this game here today many players are going to play major roles. It's fascinating, the matchup between these two managers, how they change their lineups, how the, the different positions they put guys in. Earl Weaver actually, in this game, not going to his traditional platoon advantage, sticking with some guys, including keeping Gary Reneke out there in left field, though that has a lot more to do with the health of John Lowenstein. And sticking with Garcia and Rich Dower up the middle uh, rather than going back to Belanger or putting Billy Smith in there. Uh, And then, of course, you know, kind of shifting around the order of the lineup and uh, all those things matter. and, And especially what's going to matter, one thing that Earl Weaver felt he needed to change heading into... Game three, but also game four was perhaps reserving his bench for late in the game. He felt like in game two, the reason why he didn't have Lowenstein bunt, if we recall that, you know, that key inning was he had already used some of his best left-handed pinch hitters, wasn't going to have them available for later in the lineup. So he really wanted Lowenstein to get the job done there uh, rather than, you know, bunting and then having guys moved around and not having the matchup he wanted earl weaver was always searching for those matchups gonna have a lot to say about earl weaver as well as manager chuck tanner as we head into game four what everyone understands is the pivotal game of this series more on that after a word from our sponsor It's so frustrating. What's that, son? This uh, ketchup. It won't come out of the bottle fast enough. And my fries are getting cold. Well, I'm afraid you're doing it all wrong. You want to know a not-so-secret secret? secret? Uh, Okay. Well, you see that raised-up 57 on the Heinz ketchup bottleneck? Yeah. Well, you tilt the bottle down at an angle there, just so, and tap the heel of your palm on that raised 57. Just a little... Tap, tap. Hey, would you look at that? It's coming out of the bottle. Oh, of course it is. There's something magical about that 57 on a Heinz ketchup bottle. Your grandpa taught me that trick, and now I'm teaching you. Oh, you know I'm like 28 years old. You maybe could have taught me that a little sooner. Well, some things are worth waiting for. Now, are you going to share those fries with your old dad? You know what Grandpa said? Patience is a virtue. He never said that. I think he said it to me. Heinz Sketchup, a tradition that gets passed around. Game fours are often thought of as the most pivotal game in a series, the real hinge point. It can be, right? It's the opportunity for a team if you're up 2-1 in a series, or heck, even up 3-0, you have a chance to extend to 3-1 or even finish the deal, finish in a sweep. If you're down in the series, it's your chance to claw back, perhaps even things up. And it's especially important with game five coming right behind it, right? That, you know, it's then the chance of All right, if you can even the series up, it gives you a little bit more length. But if you fall behind 3-1, it really puts the pressure on for game five. So the Orioles view this game as being in prime position. So manager Earl Weaver really wants to win this one because, well, then all you got to do is win one out of the next three. And two of those games will be at home. For the Pirates, it's a much more daunting situation. You go down, you're going to have to win the next three. And that means winning two in a row at Memorial, even if you can get game five. None of these are guarantees. But this is an important game because historically... Teams that have gone down 3-1 in the World Series have not done well. Here's Howard Cosell talking about that history and mentioning the teams to this point up until 1979. The few teams that were able to accomplish that feat.
1: Well, in Pittsburgh, it is still nippy, but the sun is shining. Temperature in the low 40s. There are predictions of possible snow flurries later, but clearly, the playing conditions the best that we have yet had in this World Series. Hello again, everyone, and it's so good to have you with us for this, what clearly is the pivotal game of the 1979 World Series. It is that by manager Chuck Tanner's own admission. Only three times in the history of the World Series has a team ever come back from a three to one deficit in games to win the series. And that's what the Bucs would face if they lost today. Those three times, 1968, the Tigers did it against the Cardinals, the Lola year. 1958, the Yankees did it against the Milwaukee Braves. And then in 1925, These same Pittsburgh Pirates did it against the then Washington Senators.
0: Both of these managers understand the challenge at hand. For Earl Weaver, the man who many considered to be the best manager in baseball, and is still regarded today as one of the most forward thinking, brilliant managers the game of baseball has ever seen. It was an interesting dynamic that Earl Weaver had in his clubhouse. People recognized his brilliance, but Earl Weaver was in no way a player's manager. In fact, by his own admission in his sort of his own 10 laws of baseball, he said, you don't make any promises to your players because you won't have to break them. You know, I think in retrospect, and, and probably at the time, people understood how much Earl wanted to win. The Orioles' clubhouse throughout his tenure was not without strife, right? He and Jim Palmer famously would have arguments on the mound, in front of the whole stadium, in front of home fans and road fans alike for all the world to see. And there was belief that you know, from some of the other guys that Earl Weaver didn't know anything about pitching other than that, other than that he couldn't hit it, hit it himself. But Earl did know some things about baseball. He knew that outs were precious. He knew you didn't want to give things away. He knew about the values of home runs. He knew about the values, the value of taking away runs taking away outs, not giving things to your opponent. That is the key. And ultimately, he understood the value of his players. It's why he would be so fiery and argue with umpires. A lot of ways, it was protecting his players, right? Earl, brilliant as he was, knew he could get ejected. And frankly, it wouldn't have that much of an effect on the game, right? He could get ejected. But as long as Eddie Murray, Frank Robinson, Brooks, Jim Palmer, Cal Ripken, whoever it was that he had on his team with him, right, throughout his very long career, as long as his players remained in the game, that is what the difference was. He put them in positions to succeed. Now, of course, you know, he would be second guessed in this series. And um, coming off of game three, he looks like a genius with Benny Ayala, Kiko Garcia coming through, as well as Renicky and sticking with Scott McGregor. But he kind of seems like the scapegoat after game two, not having Lowen- Lowenstein bunt, and maybe make not making defensive changes, right? Not putting Dower in instead of Billy Smith Dower, who's the superior defender uh, in many people's respects. So, It was an always interesting dynamic for the earl of baltimore but ever since he came into baltimore he knew how to win right and and as we look back on his career he was someone that fell short in the playoffs i I think that is absolutely true right and i i've talked about before and i think we're going to see it later in this series of where sometimes i I believe he got immobilized in those really key situations, right? Because he was thinking about so many things. He was knowledgeable about so many things. And sometimes you just got to let the game of baseball happen. You Sometimes you got to go with your gut, which Weaver did. Sometimes he'd stick with pitchers longer than he should have. And sometimes he'd take guys out or, or make a change that, you know, Maybe didn't make the most sense by the numbers, but he felt it was right. But as we get later in this series, it almost seems, especially when we get to game seven, it feels like Earl Weaver's pushing buttons. Um, Because sometimes in baseball, the other team outplays you and out executes you. That's what happened in 1969. Earl Weaver didn't get outmanaged; They got outplayed. And in 1970, The Orioles outplayed the Reds. They beat the brakes off of them. In 71, it came down to seven games. And when you get to the seventh game of a World Series, it's all up for grabs. And, you know, the various other postseason failures, you know, were tight ball games, close matchups. I mean, think about Earl Weaver. Definitely one of the best regular season managers there's ever been. Won 100 games, 100 plus games five times. Five times. And then an additional six times won 90 or more games. So that's 11 seasons of 90 or more wins, right? Now, not all of those were playoff appearances, of course, because back then only one team from a division would make the playoffs. But man, that is a legacy of winning. And today, in this game, Weaver's brilliance is going to pay off again. And ultimately some of his re- some restraint, right, is going to pay off and and some planning and it all culminates when we get to the late stages of this game. Earl Weaver. Well, this game and is going to put him closer to his ultimate goal and it will kind of be as far as he'll get, unfortunately. But let's not forget what a manager he was and the success, right? Like those of us who really follow baseball can appreciate and understand just how hard it is and how much luck and good fortune you need To win a world series but to win as often as earl weaver did and to get those opportunities right to get those chances those bites at the apple you've got to be special there's no luck about that another manager who wasn't about luck who tried to put his players in the best position and was now dealing with some second guessing and questions of his own was Chuck Tanner. You know, this is his 1st postseason run with the Pirates and it's started off great, but now it gets a little difficult. So here's Howard Cosell with manager Chuck Tanner to talk about the challenge and talk about the strategy heading in to game four of the World Series.
1: Chuck Tanner is an enthusiastic man who has managed in both leagues. Players love to play for him. He lets them do their thing. His record speaks for itself on that graphic. I talked with Chuck Tanner just a few moments ago. Chuck, the day after, do you have any second thoughts about coming back with the Candy Man after the long rain delay?
2: Oh, none whatsoever, hard. Uh, Harvey Haddock's our pitching coach, was in the bullpen with him when he warmed up. He came back and he said he's throwing a ball just like he did before he started the ball game. And the only difference was he just didn't get location. And, you know, hard we had a couple, couple tough spots in that ball game. We thought we had two of their batters struck out. One walked and the other guy hit the home run. And to me, that was the turning point. And then after the rain delay, they were able to come back and hit the ball in the alleys. We hit the ball hard, but our balls just didn't go out. Well,
1: certainly there were three that looked like they would go out, and each was caught right at the wall. Do you hold the heavy air accountable?
2: No question about it. Under normal conditions, uh, we would have had three home runs, and the game would have been completely different.
1: Well, that was shortened to the point. Now, what dampening effect, if any, did that defeat have on your ball club and maybe you personally?
2: Oh, no effect with me. No effect with our ball players. We know that we're down by one game. We know today's a very important game for us. A game that w- be the biggest game of the World Series because we can't afford to be down three to one. We have to get it back to two and two, and then we'll be able to go from there. Uh, It's the biggest game for us. We have Jim Bibby going And everybody knows the job. We don't have to have a meeting. We don't have to discuss it Uh, They'll be ready. They're in there getting ready for batting practice right now, and they definitely feel that we're going to still win the pennant What has
1: Bibby got to stop the birds?
2: Well Bibby is was he and Keeson have been our most effective pitchers coming down the stretch in September And Bibby is a different pitcher than he was in the American League. Baltimore hit against Bibby in the American League when he was strictly a fastball pitcher, pump the heat at you for nine innings, and let's see who the better person is. But now Jim Bibby is, with the help of Harvey Haddix, has come up with a breaking pitch, an off-speed pitch, to go along with his good fastball. So he's a completely different pitcher.
0: We'll have more thoughts on Jim Bibby in a moment. It is interesting to think, a manager to come right out and say there's no big speech i need to give there's no there's no rah-rah there's no there's nothing i need to say the guys understand the job and with the way the pirates are going to start this game it definitely seems like they understood the assignment and understood what's at stake what i find fascinating is going to be the orioles response to that right? Because, I mean, ultimately, seven-game series, they're fights, right? They're battles. Punches get thrown. It's ultimately about how you respond. You can't win a series in one game. You have to sustain it, right? That's the brilliant part about it, right? You can't, you got to finish the job and, and heck, you can't even win. You can't necessarily win a game in the early innings, right? You're given these outs and you got to earn every single one of them when you're on defense to talk about our pitching matchup after we get a word from Howard Cosell and introduced with, uh, with Al Michaels. Don Drysdale is going to break down the pitching matchup between Dennis Martinez and Jim Bibby. We saw Jim Bibby put together a heck of a performance a dominant performance in many ways against the Reds in game two of the NLCS. And we saw Dennis Martinez be fantastic, fantastic against the Angels before, you know, things kind of fell apart in the ninth inning um, and that in game three of the ALCS. Now, Dennis Martinez, not necessarily known for his time with the Orioles, would be, you know, much more lauded and remembered for his times with the Expos and heck, even Cleveland late in his career. And part of that is, well, I think what happens in this game, it is not going to go well for Dennis Martinez. Um, But he's the type of guy, both of these pitchers are guys who have excellent stuff, can have overpowering stuff, but command and getting the job done early Matters. Here's Don. Here's Howard Cosell and then Don Drysdale to talk about this sort of unknown pitching matchup.
3: Back again to offer his commentary today, and I'm sure to predict all of Benny Ayala's home
1: runs. Once again, Howard Cosell. Thank you very much, Al. It may seem like Palm Springs to you, but it's Nova Scotia to me in the meantime you're right about the looseness of the pittsburgh pirates matlock for instance was shadow boxing showing his sugar ray leonard moves Willie Stargell was impressing me with the fact that he could have been the greatest goalie in the history of the national hockey league no matter we made a point at the opening of our very first telecast that frequently the little guys the unexpected ones become the world series heroes And so far, it's run to that pattern. Remember the very first game? On balance, Doug DeSensei had to be the hero, providing the winning margin with his two-run blast. And in the second game, it was the elder statesman who did it for Roberto Clemente, in his own words, Manny Sanguin. And then yesterday, rocketing into stardom the way you can in a World Series, a guy named Kiko Garcia with those four hits with the four runs batted in the big bases loaded triple and for him it'll be probably the most memorable day of his baseball life in the meantime pitching still the controlling factor look at McGregor yesterday today maybe the situation a little bit iffy on both sides to detail that for you Don Drysdale thank you Howard well if
4: he might be the case but if both guys are on it could be a very well pitched game for Baltimore It will be Dennis Martinez. Now, he's had kind of an up-and-down year. He started off 0-2, then he won his next 10 in a row. But after that, he ended up the season by winning 5 and losing 14. But he's got great stuff, and if he's right, he can be awfully tough. He pitched against the Angels in the championship series. He had no decision. Now for Pittsburgh, it is Jim Bibby. He's a big guy. He throws hard. And the key to watching Bibby is going to be his control. He was inserted in the starting lineup by manager Chuck Tanner in July. And then he won six in a row. He finished 12 and four. And if he's right, his control is right. That is his key. As I said before, this can be a well pitched ball game and maybe a low scoring ball game.
0: Both of these guys are big right handers can throw hard and throw a lot of pitches, but walks and home runs can sometimes get the best of them. In terms of lineups, a little bit of a different look we've got for the Orioles. We've got Bumbrey back in center field, back in the starting lineup, Garcia starting against the righty at shortstop, Singleton and Murray, then Desensei, Gary Renneke gets the start and left, that kind of has more to do with John Lowenstein have a, having a hurt ankle more than anything, though it's interesting to see Weaver not go to Pat Kelly uh, rather than Renike. Uh But some of that might have to do, again, comfortability, pinch hitting versus how many, you know, the Pirates don't have a lot of lefty relievers they turn to, right? There's Dave Roberts and there's Grant Jackson. And, you know... When it comes to pulling those guys, it's going to probably happen pretty quickly. Rich Dower still in there at second. Dave Skaggs, interestingly, behind the plate. Sort of Dennis Martinez's normal catcher. Uh, but also, given the how late the game went last night, it's sort of a way to give a day off for Rick Dempsey. Of course, Martinez on the mound. Same, basically, right-handed facing lineup with a righty on the mound that we've got for the Pirates. Moreno in center, Foley at short. Parker in right, Stargell at first, Milner in left, Madlock at third, Ott behind the plate, Garner at second, and then big Jim Bibby on the hill. And boy, Jim Bibby's gonna come out firing to start this game. Uh, Works a long count against Al Bumbrey, but gets him to roll over to second base and then just completely overpowers Kiko Garcia and then Ken Singleton. Getting Garcia just blowing a fastball by him and they're reading 96, 97 on the gun, which if you knew how the guns were back then, they're measuring it as it's crossing home plate. So coming out of the hand is probably close to 99, maybe even touching a hundred there from Jim Bibby and then gets Ken Singleton looking silly on a breaking ball. In the bottom of the first, Dennis Martinez is able to work around a Tim Foley single to get Dave Parker uh, to ground into a double play. Actually, a comebacker, uh, Kiko Garcia, makes a really nice play around second base uh, to sort of reach over. Not a great feed from Martinez, but he's able to drag his foot across uh, the bag at second and fire at a first to get the very fleet of foot, Dave Parker. Things, again, look good in the top of the second. Um, Jim Bibby is able to get two more strikeouts, works around a Doug DeSensei walk, uh, and then gets Rich Dower to pop up to second after Doug DeSensei stole. And so, leading off the bottom of the second, again, the thing that we are talking about, the Pirates are loose, they're happy, they're ready to go. There's not a tense body in that dugout. Maybe except... Maybe he's not showing it. Chuck Tanner's probably a little bit tense, right? But a lot of it comes down to your leaders. And having that calming presence of Pops, of Willie Stargill, the patriarch of the Pirates, it matters quite a lot. And that strong example is only strengthened by what he can do up there at the plate.
1: Now that would have been a National League strike. I was watching the jugs (laughs) (laughs) go. They never had that in your day. No, you're right.
3: Two balls, two strikes again on (laughs) Strygel. Willie leading off in the bottom of the second, no score. Deep center field. Bumbry going back, all the way back at the fence. Gone.
4: He
1: can hit it
3: out anywhere. So the great man comes through
1: and gives the Bucks an early lead. His second home run of the World Series. Dead center field, about 410 feet on the fly.
3: Stars of the home run in game one and then back with one in game four. Well, he got it all. He got it up high.
4: There's a little breeze swirling around, checking the flag. It is blowing a little bit towards center. Bunry thought he might have a play on it, but it just got over. That's good enough. Well, it goes over one
1: quarter, two feet. They call him back out. So mm. they love him here, don't they? Yeah, it's an amazing thing to see. An athlete capture the hearts of a population the way that
0: man is. Stargell continues his otherworldly postseason with yet another home run, a blast to center. Man was Willie Stargell beloved by Pittsburgh and by his teammates. And I think he was likely respected by other teams. I don't imagine how you could hate Willie Sharjell. You could hate to have to face him, but I can't imagine hating the man. What a swing. Now things are not going to get any better for Dennis Martinez in this inning. John Milner rips one through the right side. Then Bill Madlock on, on the very next pitch, lines one down the left field line it sort of kicks over the short fence in front of the bullpen in left field for a ground rule double second and third no one out the pirates already have the lead and edott steps to the plate looking to do even more damage in this game
1: martinez appears unsettled the National League umpire.
3: Hot right, hits it to deep center field. Bunbury was playing shallow and it's over his head, and that's a ground rules double. Who runs in? It's 3 nothing. Hot
4: thought he hit a home run. <laughs> he's coming home, but he's going to go back to second. Uh, there, he touches his own
1: plate and he's going to circle him again. <laughs> This is so typical of the Bucks. Always bouncing back, battling back. So the left-handed hitters are shelling Martinez.
0: The wrestler from Muncie, Pennsylvania, Ed Ott, coming through there for the Pirates, driving that ball to center field. It is a rough way to start this game if you're Dennis Martinez and the Orioles. Not exactly what you were looking for. The bullpen's already going. Sammy Stewart's pretty much already warm. You know, Earl Weaver, his guys are just a phone call away. They know to be ready. It was probably to the chagrin of many starting pitchers, but that was just the way it was. That was the way Earl managed And this inning is not going to go any better for Dennis Martinez. We're going to show you the next play with Phil Garner at the plate, who's had a tremendous start to this series at the plate, albeit with some defensive key, costly defensive mishaps. But Martinez is going to be able to get an out. In this inning, but not retire a batter. Still nobody out in the inning. It's three nothing Pirates, and Garner is at the plate.
3: Bill is five for ten in the series. Lined in the center field for a base hit. On around third, and after hesitating, he's caught in a rundown. As Skag starts to move him back toward third, and the tag is made by Desenz.
1: That ball was almost thrown away by Skaggs. It was thrown high, but the sensei, a tall man, was able to corral it and make the tag. What they
4: almost made the play, and it was almost fouled up, and that was by Eddie Murray, because here's the throw. They're letting it come, and now that ball is deflected. And see, it comes up the line. But Odd is a dead duck as he comes around. He realizes he's caught. He's just trying to give Garner a chance to go to second base. He, he does throw. So- Ott again coming around joe lynette waving him all the way now he starts to stop <laughs> and i starts to stop
1: again he says i shouldn't even be here of course <laughs> this was the controversial play in the ninth inning of the second game murray affecting a cutoff here he deflected the ball Ott, the runner coming in to score the winning run
0: the orioles sort of luck into and out there uh At stumbling around Third base, not picking up his base coach, kind of starting and stopping. The ball deflects off of Murray, but thankfully goes right to Dave Skaggs behind the plate. And they're luckily able to get an out there. But just a disaster of an inning for Dennis Martinez. And his day is done. Only an inning and a third. He, a- he actually didn't retire a batter in this inning. And so that's going to bring in Sammy Stewart, a guy who's pretty much been warming up. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he warmed up almost every single game for the Orioles this season. He's probably warmed up 130 times at the very least and not come in a bunch, right? But here he is getting the call in the second inning of the World Series to please put out the fire to some degree. And he almost gets out of it in one pitch because Jim Bibby lines one right back to him. Garner actually takes a step towards third, but Garcia's playing a little too deep. He's not able to get over to the bag in time. So they're not able to double Garner off of second base, which is good for the Pirates because they don't need more base runners thrown out. That brings up Omar Moreno who has struggled, to say the least, to begin this series. But here he is with a chance to extend the lead for the Pirates, make it a four-nothing game in the second inning.
3: Omar Marino, grounded out in the first. That's lined into center field, being waved in. Garner rounding third. Bucks lead it four nothing.
4: If Bumbery would have known what was happening to Garner, he'd have made a play at the plate. But Al did not know what was happening because Garner was stumbling and almost went down coming around third. He charges the ball well. You see him timing himself to get into position to throw. Now, if he'd have let it go. He might have had a shot, because Garner, as he was stumbling, coming around, he just decides, well, now it's too late. Now that I've seen what's
3: happened, I can't get him. So, four runs over in the inning, and there he is. There's Garner, stumbling round third. As Don just mentioned, and Bumbrey concentrating on picking the ball up, and by the time he realized what had happened, too late. Tim Foley. The eighth man to come up in the inning. One for one today, an infield single. Stewart with a good move, and he's got him. So Marino at first base with two down in a situation where he might be going and he gets picked off. So an inglorious end to the inning for the Bucks, but they come up with four.
4: It's a good move, too, and they've got him dead to rights, and Jim McKean, the first base
3: umpire, is right there on the call. Four runs, six hits in the inning, and at the end of two in game four, it's Pittsburgh four, Baltimore
0: nothing. A great inning for the Pirates' offense, but also kind of a missed opportunity for more, with Ott getting thrown out at home plate, stumbling around the bag, and then Moreno getting picked off at first, kind of preventing a chance to extend the inning even further. Now, of course, you probably are thinking the same thing I am. What the Pirates really need is a shutdown inning after that. And what can prevent you from getting a shutdown inning is porous. Defense. Now, I will say, this first play here, Dave Skaggs reaches on an error by Bill Madlock. A, a ball is chopped to third, takes a wicked hop on Madlock, who then has to rush his throw over to first. Stargell can't come up with it. E5 on Madlock. Bit of a rough error, but still a play that needs to be made. Earl Weaver opts to stick with Sammy Stewart, doesn't throw in a pinch hitter here. You hear the broadcasters talk about Earl is thinking ahead, right, to later in the game. You know, despite, of course, wanting to score a run now, first of all, he needs length out of the bullpen now, out of Stewart. Stewart's got to give him a little bit of something. And on top of that, he doesn't want to waste one of his main pinch hitters whether it be Kelly, Lowenstein, or Terry Crowley, right here, right now. So, Sammy Stewart ends up striking out, but no big deal. Al hits, drops one into center field to set up first and second for the hero of Game 3, Kiko Garcia. And, well, Kiko Garcia is going to respond.
3: Hit to deep left center field. John Milner racing back, and that one bounces up against the fence. Skaggs coming in to score. Bumry coming in to score. And Garcia, last night's big man, picks up a two-run double to make it 4-2. What we've talked about, the unexpected
1: heroes. This kid has rocketed international attention. His four hits last night, the four ribbies, the base-clearing triple. Now two more ribbies. Now he got behind the count, three and one, and he got
4: the fastball up over the plate, and Garcia is looking nothing but fastball. He got it, got
1: out in front, timed it well, and hit the ball well. Well, I've decided that maybe Tommy Lasorda is right. Wevo walks with angels.
0: What a swing from Kiko Garcia. Almost sending that one out of the ballpark to cut the lead in half and really sort of dampen that blow the Pirates were able to place on them. And up to the plate steps, Ken Singleton who the surface level numbers so far, I believe he's four for 12 at the plate, looking pretty good so far in the playoffs, but missing those key hits in key situations so far in the World Series. Well, that's not going to happen here. Ken Singleton stepping up to the plate, the Orioles MVP of this season, showing why he, what's their star
1: so they're back in the ball game and we've got another of these head to head battles between two teams that seem so evenly matched
3: deep to left center field. Marino is racing back, and that one hits the bottom of the fence. As Garcia rounds third, he'll come in to score. The throw to second is not in time, and it's 4-3. to Now that's the Kenny Singleton we've grown accustomed to throughout the season. So they are team off on Bibby here in the third. And he gets
4: a fastball out away from him, and Kenny, we've said before, has got terrific power to the opposite field. He hits that ball well up the gap, no chance whatsoever to run it down. It short hops off the wall. Right there to make the play is Moreno. A close play at second base. As Garcia scores, it's four to three Pittsburgh. There's a play at second base. He makes a good strong throw. Eddie Murray.
3: Singleton has to hustle all the way. So the tying run at second base, still only one out of the inning, and Eddie Murray struck out in the second.
0: A great opposite field swing there from Ken Singleton, using the big part of the ballpark. Again, nearly riding one out of there, almost tying the game here in the third inning. Bibby is able to find himself, though. Able to strike out Eddie Murray with some breaking balls. Murray, who got off to a great start in this series, has really struggled of late, and those struggles will continue throughout the rest of this series. DeSensei flies out to left. Now, in the bottom of the third, again, the Pirates were not able to get the shutdown inning they needed. And from the start of this inning, it looks like neither are the Orioles. Tim Foley's able to reach base on a ground ball. Basically, chops one. Doug DeSensei can't come up with it. Uh, Foley's able to beat it out at first. After Dave Parker flies out to center, Willie Stargell rips one down the right field line. Another base hit for Stargell. Interestingly enough, they don't send fully to try and score a good job by ken singleton digging it out in the corner preventing the run from scoring the orioles opt to walk john milner intentionally to load up the bases for bill madlock a guy who has come through time and again in this series and in the playoffs has been a huge boon to the offense but sometimes great defense can pick you up even when the balls hit hard. just
1: right-handed or right-hander. You have to do it, but certainly you have trepidation in doing it because Matlock is a far better
3: hitter than Milner. Bounce down to second, great play by Dower to Garcia. One back to first, they get the double play. So the strategy
1: works. Yes, it did. They made it work. Good play by the second baseman. What
4: a play by Dower, because that ball, he kicked back on him after it hit the dirt. We'll take a look at it again as Madlock hits it hard by Stewart. Now Dower going over, and now it takes a skip back on him. You see, he almost overran the ball. Then he comes up. The ball was hit so hard. All he's got to do is make the routine play after that. And there's a the little ball-beats runner. He's out there, because I don't think he touched second base. <laughs>
3: So they come up empty in the third. We go to the fourth. It's
0: still 4-3, Pittsburgh. That's a great play from Dower to recover. You know, uh, he kind of almost actually misreads the ball, but sometimes it's really more the turf, especially when you hit a ball with a little bit of spin. They can take very odd hops. So a great job by Dower to recover, get the ball. He falls to the seat of his pants, flips it over to Garcia, who is around the second base bag. He might have gotten a toe to graze it as he he flies by second base, but he fires it over to first to get the speedy Madlock and get the O's out of the inning, making Earl Weaver look like a genius once again by walking uh, Milner to play the advantage. Now, in the top of the fourth, the Pirates defense is going to show up and shine where you know both of these teams have had had some defensive mishaps so far in this series but these two innings the third and the fourth the defense shows up to play taking advantage of the turf
3: it's sharply great stop by madlock who gets up and guns him down So the man who made the key error that got things started for the Orioles in the third makes a sparkling play to Rob Reneke here in the fourth. Well, he took away a double right there. There's Madlock. Crack
4: of the bat. He goes over. And now, there it is. He's got it already. That ball was hit hard.
1: He saved a double. There's another look at it from another angle. To the backhand. And he saved a double. Tell you the history of as Dower singles into left heel with one out. Now you can see how big that was. Now you've got a tie ball game if Madlock didn't come up That's with right. That. Robinson working again in the bullpen. I mean, Roberts. This time, not Robinson. Roberts, the bearded. The veteran who's been so much traveled. Let me tell you something, Don. Catcher, Dave It There's got to be some luck to having the right guy in the right spot. Some luck all the time. Well, they threw Weaver in the Boston and the Charles River. He'd come up the other side with a fruit
4: stand.
1: (laughs) Dave Skaggs,
3: inside (laughs) 4-1. Oh, I don't believe you. Grounded toward the hole, Foley goes to Garner, one, the first, turns it over for two. What a turnover
4: at second, and what a good play by Foley. That was a tough play. I didn't think they had a chance in the world. Now watch Timmy as he goes to the hole, and as he throws, he just gets himself in position while he's off the ground.
3: And Garner able to turn it over for two, so in the middle of the fourth inning, 4-3, Pittsburgh.
0: Great defense shown by the left side of the Pirates infield in that inning. Madlock with the diving play, Foley with a really impressive double play. One of those that can only really be done on turf, right? Because balls hop a little bit differently on turf in the infield rather than on dirt. So you can take advantage and play a little deeper than you would on regular ground, uh, so he's able to get over to that ball in the hole, whip it over to Garner uh, while staying balanced. That's something that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do if you if you had to, like, say, go onto the outfield grass. Maybe you slip uh, slip on that grass, or it takes a hit on the on the lip of the infield. Again, those little factors uh, that. You don't necessarily think about until you're actually watching these games, the differences uh, between. Anyway, some really high-level defense on display there. Sammy Stewart puts up another zero in the bottom of the fourth uh, before he's pinch hit for it in the top of the fifth by Lee May. But Jim Bibby sort of gets back on a roll. Bibby, a lot of strikeouts early on in this game, had five through basically like the first three innings. Um, you know, in the fourth and the fifth, didn't pick up any strikeouts. In the bottom of the fifth, Steve Stone, who would go on to win a Cy Young in 1980 for the Orioles, um, was pitching out of the pen here, ends up walking Tim Foley to lead off this inning, and then Dave Parker gets a single to left. He is able to get Willie Stargell to pop out to third, kind of a a hold-your-breath moment there, But John Milner steps up to the plate, looking to get the Pirates back on the board in this game.
4: It hard, fair ball down the line. That'll score one and maybe two. That's what I mean
1: about Milner.
4: Parker to third, he holds Milner at second, and it's 5-3 Pittsburgh on the run, producing double by Johnny Milner.
1: Now let's look at that Milnes swing. Yep, they used to call Johnny Obreche the hammer when he was with the Mets. He's a quiet man. Look at it again. Has a fine, level swing with those wrists. Here comes Earl Weaver out as you look at the remainder of that play it out to the man. Steve Stone did it to himself. And he led off the inning, walking Tim Foley.
0: Lead-off walks, especially right before you get to the middle of the order, they will often come back to bite you in the behind. And that's what happens to Steve Stone here. Now, they end up intentionally walking Bill Madlock uh, to, uh, load up the bases Ed Ott flies out to short left. The pirates do not challenge the strong arm of Gary Reneke out there in left field, but he has a cannon, not as good as Dave Parker, but from left field, few better, uh, to fire it in. And then Phil Garner hits one hard up the middle, but they're able to get the force out at second, a nice play by Kiko Garcia. In the top of the sixth, Jim Bibby, who's already right around 100 pitches, has had to work really, really hard in this game. He gives up a leadoff single to Ken Singleton, but that's immediately erased by a double play uh, off the bat of Eddie Murray. DeSense draws a four pitch walk, but Renicky ends up flying out to right. In the bottom of the sixth, with two outs, Tim Foley comes up to the plate again continues his excellent day in his excellent postseason with a single to right. And then in a three-two count, the Pirates have a little luck go their way.
4: Runner goes, left field, shallow, Reneke and Garcia and it's gonna drop and it goes by Renicky Here comes Foley on the double by Parker. It is six to three, Pittsburgh.
3: laps, and this one instrumental here as Parker with a big swing, Reneke was playing relatively deep, he came loping in initially as if he thought maybe Garcia had a chance and Kiko had none whatsoever, and then Rennikey, once he does get there, tries to short hop it, the ball bouncing high off the carton curb and that clocked Baltimore a run. And good
4: hustle by Foley, who was running on the 3-2 pitch, he scores all the way from first base as Stargell
3: stands in
0: that is a bit of a misplay from the usually sure-handed Gary Renicky out there in left field i pin it more to a little bit of unfamiliarity with the turf when you've got a high fly ball or really any any sort of bloop you got to know it's going to bounce towards the line when it's got that spin like that and renicky who initially starts slow comes in hard but too aggressively knowing that he's not going to get to the ball, allows that ball to bounce away from him by just a few steps, and with that, no chance to throw out Foley, who's sprinting from from the start with it being a 3-2 count. He's able to score easily from first base. Keep little bloops to the outfield in mind. Steve Stone is able to respond, even with the runners in, runner in scoring position. He's able to get Willie Sargel to strike out swinging. So, able to limit that damage there, though, now it's a 6-3 to three ball game. In the top of the seventh, um, Jim Bibby is able to get a fly out to center, but then gives up two base hits, one to Dave Skaggs and one to the pinch hitter, Pat Kelly. But then Grant Jackson comes in and is able to eliminate the threat by getting the speedy Al Bumbrey to ground into a 6-4-3 double play. Closing the book on Jim Bibby, a very excellent outing, a very gritty outing, six and a third innings, three runs, only two earned, seven strikeouts, a lot of those early in the game. Another great postseason performance from Jim Bibby, sort of Wouldn't have expected that at the beginning of the year, or heck, even in the middle of the year for the Pirates. He's really come strong down the stretch for them. In the bottom of the seventh, Tim Stoddard comes in, and he's able to work around a Bill Madlock walk uh, and a caught ceiling to basically uh, put together a scoreless inning. Also works sort of a kick save. Uh, Ed Ott hits one right back to them. He basically kicks it right over, fortunately, to Eddie Murray, who's able to get the out at first base. And now we get to the top of the eighth. This is where this ball game gets really, really interesting. Don Robinson is in, who he's looked just as good as as about anybody this postseason so far, and starts off with a little bit of bad luck. Kiko Garcia bloops one into right field. I think Dave Parker got fooled by the swing, not unlike Raneke got fooled by the swing a couple of innings ago. Breaks back and is not able to recover. He does, unlike Raneke, keep the ball in front of him to hold Garcia to a single. But then Ken Singleton lines one over to the left side to set up first and second with nobody out eddie murray is able to avoid a double play doesn't hit the ball very hard but they are able to, uh, to get singleton out at second so it's first and third and one out and upsets doug de who controversially draws a walk because there are some check swings that Doug distance swung and the first base umpire didn't call it i mean they one of them was really, really bad. I, I, it was a breaking ball in the dirt that DeSensei definitely came around on, but the first base umpire either didn't see it or decided, hey, they're gonna, ha- you're gonna have to get a full swing on him, buddy. And so that loads the bases, and Chuck Tanner goes to Kent DeCové, who, as I mentioned before, kind of meaninglessly threw a couple of innings. The day before kind of in a, in a, in a, in a mop-up situation. And now it's coming in with the bases loaded, the tying run on first base, the go ahead run at the plate. Obviously the type of situation you expect, you expect Kent to to thrive in, but here is where Earl Weaver saving his pinch hitters matters so much. You know, so in this inning, you know, so pinch hitting for Rich Dower, it's not Billy Smith. It's John Lowenstein coming up at a key moment. Lowenstein, who had a pinch hit walk-off home run earlier in these playoffs, has come through time and again with clutch hits, clutch performances, has been a little banged up. But here he is, coming through for his manager at the right time, at the right spot, in a pinch. Apart from that one hit, John
1: has not been hitting much of anything at all. And
3: Balmer says it's the ankle. The 0-1 pitch, up and away. Bases loaded, Garcia at third. Murray. The runner at second. And the at first. One out in the eighth inning. Six to three, Pittsburgh. The 2-2 pitch is ripped by oh. and into the corner. Garcia comes in to score. Parker has trouble with it. Murray comes in to score. They stop the sensei at third. It's a double and it's six to five. How oh, can you ask for more? It's another one-run ball game at this
1: moment. And indeed, he hit this ball a ton, watch this! He crushed it, that ball got by
4: Stargell in a hurry, and down into that corner in a hurry, and now this isn't the problem, the problem right now, that ball just about got by Parker, right there, a great bare-handed
3: save, or we've got a tie game. Murray, you can see him, he wanted DeSensey to come in, but Cal Ripkin stops him at third with one out of in the inning runners at second and third and they go to the bench again this time instead of dower we're going to see billy smith
0: what a swing by john lowenstein getting one of those i don't know if it was the sinker or the slider but it just hangs up in the zone from to rips it to right right past willie stargel gets down in the corner We'll say good job by Parker to kind of keep it there, prevent the tying run from scoring, giving the Pirates an opportunity to try to get out of this. But what a swing by John Lowenstein. Then, by the way, Lowenstein actually pinch it for Renicky I, I misspoke, he pinched it for Renicky right? So holding him there in that situation. What a decision by Earl Weaver. It's actually Billy Smith who pitch hits for Rich Dower off of DeColvay, and then they decide to intentionally walk him in order to face Dave Skaggs. But of course, Earl's got another trick up his sleeve with not having used his pinch hitters. He still has Terry Crowley to pitch hit for him. The guy who he had all the way back Late 60s, early 70s, Terry Crowley went and won a, won a couple World Series with the Reds as one of their pinch hitters, though he wasn't often used. And now he's back in Baltimore. And he's about to have the biggest at bat, the most important hit of his life in game four of the World Series. His team down a run, bases loaded, one out against one of the best closers in in all of baseball. Terry Crowley, have a moment. The 2-2 pitch
3: is lined into the right field corner, and Baltimore will take the lead as the sensei comes in to score to tie it. Smith follows to make it 7-6, and the Orioles have come up with four in the eighth. It's hard to believe, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? The way that man uses the
1: entire roster. The way every man comes through at just the right time. Look at them. There is joy there, and you can understand it. But the little cocky banner, he's the guy. They ought to give him, if Baltimore should win the game ball. (laughs) The whole
3: 108 stitches. So the Orioles have overtaken the Pirates with 7 7-6. Still only one out and runners in second and third. And he stays with Stoddard. Terry Crowley off the bench. He and Lowenstein both producing two run doubles in the eighth inning. Tim Stoddard up for the first time in 79. Bouncer by Matt. Madlock through the drawn-in infield. That'll score a run. Crowley stops at third, and it eight to six.
1: I don't believe it.
3: Incredible! I don't believe
4: it. Well, there's that ball again. Just a high hopper, and there's a artificial surface base hit, a one hopper by Madlock. They can only pick up one run as Robinson got on the ball in a hurry. And Stoddard, as you said, hasn't swung a bat all year long. Well, he has in batting practice. Baltimore's pitchers have
1: been... That's... (laughs) That's Stoddard's first hit in organized baseball. He never had a hit in the minors or the majors. He got a big hit at this time. It's a crazy World Series, ladies and gentlemen, absolutely crazy.
0: What a turnaround for the Orioles. The bench coming through against Kent Ticolvay. Doubles by John Lowenstein and Terry Crowley. Add in the first ever hit of Tim Stoddard's career. And then later, an RBI groundout by Al Bumbry. And what was a six-three ball game, a six-three lead, just five outs away from evening up this series, the Pirates are now staring down a 9-6 deficit and potentially a 3-1 deficit on the verge of elimination in this World Series. Hard to blame them. You know, Robinson and Tecolve had been great so far in this postseason. And all year. Sometimes the breaks don't fall your way. Sometimes they do. Everything turning up Earl Weaver's way in this game. Except for the starting pitcher. What a turnaround. And Tim Stoddard, the young righty, the big guy, comes out firing Is frankly, kind of, a little dominant so far in this game. Is able to get another strikeout in the bottom of the eighth. You know, they move around. Lowenstein goes to left. Rick Dempsey ends up pinch running uh, for Crowley. So he g- comes into the game. Billy Smith goes to second base, able to move those guys around. The Orioles don't add on in the top of the ninth. and the, So that brings us to the bottom of the ninth. And the Orioles, well, facing these Pirates. Pirates don't go down without making it interesting, without getting the tying run up there. You know, uh, Stoddard's able to strike out. Dave Parker has gets him on a really good breaking ball. But Stargell lines one up the middle. Actually, grounds one up the middle. Bill Madlock with two outs puts together a tremendous AB drops a single in the center. And so that brings up Ed Ott, the guy who scored the winning run in game two already had an RBI double in this game. So he steps up to the plate representing the tying run, the last chance in this game, but Tim Stoddard, a guy who. You know, this was his first really full season in the big leagues, right? Had made brief appearances in a couple of seasons before, but his first real shot at it, first postseason game that he is pitching. And he is reveling in this performance, an opportunity to put his team up 3-1 in the World Series. Take a listen as he tries to silence the Pittsburgh crowd.
3: What a ball
1: game. What a pair of teams. Foul out will play again. Hot hanging tough. Started not wanting to get the ball up and out. Well, hot can get a hold of it. Send it out of sight.
3: Kept and held by Dempsey. So Baltimore goes up three games to one. The Orioles, for the second day in a row, come from behind. And that symbolizes the pirate frustration. They cannot believe it. Earl Weaver. What a job of manipulating and maneuvering. And the Orioles win it by a score of nine to six.
0: Earl Weaver. The little man standing tall on top of the world. The World Series trophy. Just one win away. Another one for him to have. But it's just out of his reach for now. It's not there yet. He's done. He's pulled out all the stops. Made all the right decisions so far. To put himself in position and put his team in position. His guys have executed. They fell a little short in game two. But he's got a 3-1 lead. And as you can recall, so far, only three teams have ever come back from a 3-1 deficit. History would say the Orioles are going to take this one home and they don't even necessarily need Game 5 because they're going to be going home. They'll have two at Memorial Stadium. They only need to win one out of the next three. That's a tall task. But the Pirates are up for it. The family, they're not going to be rattled by this. I mean, it is tough to lose a game like that when you're up 6-3, to have that have a game turned on its head so quickly when you feel like you had it right there. And especially when you had your best. You had Ticolvay. and you had Robinson, who've, who's performed well. And you had the tying run in the banners box in the ninth inning. The Pirates have had their opportunities, but they have not executed to their standards so far especially on the pitching mound. That's ultimately what's going to need to change in this series is they're going to need to find a way to limit the Orioles' bats and limit the mistakes. It'll be interesting to see how Chuck Tanner and the Pirates respond to a 3-1 deficit. Sometimes that's exactly what a team needs, right? Right? They need their backs against the wall. Nothing left to lose. You know, for, for a team that's already loose, hard to imagine how the Pirates play any looser, but maybe that will limit the mistakes and limit the errors that have cost them to this point so far. You know, the Pirates don't look tight, but maybe they were playing a little tight. Hard to know. I mean, it didn't look like that early on in this game but it'll be interesting to see we know earl weaver is going to turn to mike flanagan turn to his ace who he asked to pitch a lot right and his two postseason starts has thrown a lot of pitches has been taxed throughout the entire season but that's what you ask of your ace Right? You ask him to perform like that. But for the Pirates, do you go back to Bruce Keeson, who got hit around but was otherwise tremendous down the stretch and you know <laughs> was seen as a postseason guy? Do you turn to Burt Blylevin, who would be going on short rest but was pretty effective in Game 2. The answer for Chuck Tanner is going to be the guy who performed admirably and has been a veteran, has been around since the late 60s. I'm talking about lefty Jim Rooker, who is going to turn in one of the best performances of his lifetime in Game 5. On the brink of elimination, the Pirates are going to find a way to respond. Because ultimately, they're family. But we got to give credit once again to the Orioles for putting themselves in a position, putting the Pirates up against the wall. But ultimately, in order to win these series, you got to Get it to the last out. You got to get it to the final game. You got to win four. So, tune in as we continue this excellent, excellent 1979 World Series. Catch you next time on Fall Classic Rewind.